there, and welcome to the Good Old Days of Radio Show. This is John Tufteller, your host, uh, special guest this week and next week, and then we wrap it up with him, at least for now, uh, is Mr. Keith Scott, uh, the man of a thousand voices from the land down under, the great country of Australia, which I had the privilege of visiting for a week when my daughter got married there a few years ago. Um, Keith, just so you know, my, my daughter married an Australian, uh, met him over the internet, and uh, he's <laughs> he's from the tiny little hamlet of Miragum, Australia. Do you know where that is? I've only heard of it. I've never <laughs> been there, believe it or not. Well, you might not want to go there. There's almost nothing there. I think they have a population of less than 100 people, but that's wow. where that's where he was from. And, uh, that's she, rustic. Yeah, rustic. Yeah, it's it, it's um, about three hours south of um, uh, Melbourne. <laughs> Melbourne. I oh, always Melbourne. Per- yeah, I no, always pronounced it Melbourne, south. but when I was there, I was told no, it's Melbourne. Okay, so anyway. Well, just Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's south of you, right? Yeah, that's right. That's the state below us. Uh, oh. the state of Victoria. Okay. And, um, and it sounds like it could be way down south, uh, <laughs> it's even, right near the bottom of the continent. Yeah, it's even further down. It's three hours south of Melbourne, um, and it's a little town called Marigum, which is a, um, I guess they're known for their dairies there. They have a lot of dairies Right, there. yeah. That's what I was told anyway. But we had a good time at the wedding, and we got to go to Melbourne, and we got to see the seven... Seven sisters, is that what it is? The Oh, the three sisters? Three, three, yeah, there were seven. I guess there's three left uh, <laughs> out in the water um, and did a number of things uh, wildlife-related. We saw these penguins coming up on shore in the, in the, in the evening. Uh, at, right. Uh, I forget where that was, but uh, anyway, <laughs> penguins in Australia, all kinds of things. Anyway, uh, yes. we're digressing all over the place here, but <laughs> I, thought, I thought I would just bring that up since we're talking about Australia just briefly here. Anyway, uh, welcome, Keith Scott, to the good old days of radio show. Thank you. And we will uh, move on from discussing Australia and start discussing um, the CBS Radio Workshop, which is our program for today, uh, starring Mr. Stan Freeberg, one of my all-time favorite satirical comedians, in a show called An Analysis of Satire. And what do you want to say about this before we uh, get it underway? Well, interesting, you were talking about uh, my country, Australia. Uh, In that same year, 1956, a couple of months earlier than this broadcast, Freeberg visited Australia because uh, we were just getting television and his little uh, recording from Capitol Records of St. George and the Dragon Net, which was, of course, his, his most famous parody of, of the great cop show Dragnet, was an enormous success in Australia. Believe it or not, we hadn't even seen an episode of Dragnet, and the record was a success. So make of that what you will. Uh, it shows how comedy really works, even if you don't get uh, what the subject is being kidded. But uh, I think once it, once we started seeing Dragnet, and that show became popular on television here, <clears throat> then Freeberg's record became even more popular, because suddenly people got the whole parody and the satire of that. So that's an interesting offshoot. But in this year of 1956, there was this... Uh, this experimental radio series called the CBS Radio Workshop, where anything went, uh, it was uh, it could be comedy, it could be a, a psychological drama, it could be science fiction. 
Um, it was anything that the writers wanted to experiment with sound patterns and uh, and the use of radio as theater of the mind. And in that year, Stan Freeberg does this show that we're about to hear called An Analysis of Satire. Uh, the 50s really was the beginning of the satirical movement in American comedy. Uh, we had Tom Lehrer, the great parodist, and um, the beginnings of a new wave of comedians coming along like Shelley Berman and Bob Newhart just uh, in a couple of years from this. So he describes satire at, at the time that there were a few people complaining about being offended. So it's like almost a half or 70 years before the age of political correctness, you could see the pattern emerging. And uh, this is just a, a very interesting show uh, to listen to because there's a lot of little uh, references to Freeberg's Capitol Records, and uh, it's just a, a, a good melange of, uh, of the whole topic of uh, satire and, and popping pretension. Okay, and what is the uh, exact date for this particular broadcast? Uh, this is the 31st of August in 1956. Okay, so this was... Uh, the summer before CBS gave him his own radio show, which was the that's the, right. It's the almost Stan exactly show. a year before, and and you could almost um, say, I I have a suspicion uh, when you listen to this that this was used as the audition to get Freeberg his own radio show one year later. Yeah, and it's interesting that it's 1957. <laughs> that was, I think, the very last uh, comedy show on the air. Is that? Correct. On, it was. On radio? Yep. Yeah. Um, it was in radio's um, twilight years. Yeah, summer of 57. And then they were done with comedy. They still had suspense and gunsmoke and a few other things that lingered on into the early 60s. But the last big comedy show, and it was a big and great comedy show, uh, starring Stan Freeberg, was the summer of 1957. And we have been featuring those on the good old days of radio show for the, yeah. uh, the last. Well, we're we're at 201 episodes or whatever we're at today, something like that, just over 200 episodes. And we featured a number of them, including one that you picked out for earlier in this series of uh, yes, cartoon my, voices my and radio. on the show. Yeah, yeah, cartoon voices and how they relate to vintage radio. Yeah, you, you picked that as your very first one, which is wonderful right. because anytime I can promote Stan Freeberg, I'm happy to do it. Sorry, oh, yeah. sorry, he's no longer with us, but he left us a great legacy of great comedy. So, from Absolutely. August 31st, 1956, CBS Radio Workshop, an analysis of satire. From Hollywood, the CBS Radio Workshop. Well, from where we sit in this air-conditioned, glassed-in control room, high above the floor on the convention coliseum, it would appear that Eustace J. Favorite Son has the nomination all but sewed up. He's only 10 votes shorter than he needed 667, and New Mexico's 16 votes can put him over the top. The roll call is about to continue, so now back to Sam Pierce on the convention floor. That's Sam Pierce once again. <laughs> Believe me, ladies and gentlemen, the final moments of this 1964 convention are really something. Well, Larry Thor is here on the floor with me. Uh, Larry, do you have a comment? Yes, I do, Sam Pierce. It seems to me that the final moments of this 1964 convention are really something. Well, that's how I would have put it, Larry Thor. Uh, Chairman Cal Porter is pounding the gavel for silence now. And it's my guess New Mexico will throw her entire 16 votes for Eustace J. Favorite Son. Uh, right, Larry Thor? Right, Sam Pierce. The convention will please be in order. Whereas in previous years, many delegates complained that they did not get to wave a sign in front of the cameras and thereby missed the opportunity of obscuring the television audience's view, this year, 
All delegates without signs to hold have been given balloons on long strings. This way, everybody gets to hold something. But this morning, two states got into a fight over civil rights, and Alabama broke an Oregon balloon with a lighted cigar. Now, balloon breaking is the kind of thing that can split our party. So let's have respect for the other fellow's balloons, at least in front of the television cameras. Now, New Mexico. New Mexico, 16 votes. Mr. Chairman, New Mexico, home of the pinto bean and the land of 10,000 lakes, proudly casts its 16 votes. In a moment, the result of those votes. But first, mother and dad, thinking of sending the kids to camp this year, don't you do it. Bring the whole family to fabulous, colorful New Mexico, home of the pinto bean and land of 10,000 lakes. Say, you can bet Mr. your bottom Chairman, dollar. Mr. When you Chairman, get... I rise to a point of order. May I remind the chair that under the unit rule, I have a full minute for my state commercial. Now that is true, but your slogan is home of the pinto bean and land of enchantment, not land of 10,000 lakes. Mr. Chairman. The chair recognizes Minnesota. Land of 10,000 lakes is Minnesota's slogan. I know, but I like it. All right, New Mexico, that will do. No, if I can't have land of 10,000 lakes, I don't want home of the pinnacle bean. Oh, well, then take home of the jumping frog. That hasn't been you. Mr. Chairman! Chair recognizes California. Before the chair gives away jumping frogs, I would like to call attention to the fact that the original jumping frog, which Mark Twain immortalized, was an amphibian from Calaveras County, which is in California! Chairman. Ah, the, the, the chair recognizes the delegate from Missouri. May I remind the delegate from California that the birthplace of Mark Twain was the little town of Hannibal on the banks of the Mississippi in the great and glorious state of Missouri. All right, Missouri, sit down. New Mexico won't use your old frog. I will if I want to. I got to where I like it now. New Mexico, home of the pinto bean and a jumping frog. New Mexico, New Mexico, you can just hand me your balloon. This is Sam Pierce again. The delegate from New Mexico is visibly shaken by the chairman's rebuke. He's relinquishing his balloon now. Well, this is a tense moment, ladies and gentlemen. Anything can happen now. Anything. Mr. Chairman, are we here to squabble over slogans or nominate a candidate for the presidency of the United States of America! First things first. Now, New Mexico, how about uh, home of the Western Meadowlark? That has a nice sound. Mr. Chairman, the Western Meadowlark is the state bird of Montana. Well, you could share your bird with New Mexico. That's the American way. I won't do it! All right, then. Here, New Mexico, here's a dandy. New Mexico. Overflowing with the milk of human kindness. Point of order. Point of order. Mr. Chairman, Wisconsin is America's dairy land. Oh, sit I down, Wisconsin. Sit down. Sit down. Now this convention will come to order, or I will take away all of your musketeer hats. Hey, what'd you turn the set off for? That was Stan Freeberg kidding the political conventions. I don't care. He makes me mad. 
He doesn't take anything serious. Yes, he does. That's satire. Satire? What's satire? In the next half hour, we will attempt to answer that question as CBS Radio presents the CBS Radio Workshop, dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. Tonight, Colloquy 3, an analysis of satire. What is satire? How does it differ from wit, from humor, from criticism? Is it all of these or none of these? To help us answer this question, the CBS Radio Workshop is proud to present one of the most penetrating young satirists of our time, the Capitol Recording star, Stan Freeberg. Thank you very much and good evening. Well, what is satire? That's a good question. Well, there are all kinds of satire. We opened the show tonight with a political satire, for example. Yes, and, uh... and it was an outrage to right-thinking Americans everywhere. Well, oh, just a minute. You can't come bursting in here. Oh, yes, I can. I am the censor. Oh, you mean the network censor? Oh, no, 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 no. Censor with a capital C. I represent society. With a capital S? No, lowercase. I represent public opinion. There are some things too serious to be kidded, too sacred. Big business, labor... The farmer, the American way, mom, politics. What's the matter with kidding politics? You can't afford to offend one party or the other. Oh, but that little exercise in Rhoda Montad was not directed at any political party. I was only poking fun at the absurdity of all conventions. Well, maybe. But you offended the states. The idea, having the delegates carry balloons. Tell me something. Did you watch the conventions recently? Of course, and very carefully, I can tell you. Well, then, honestly, didn't they look a little like big, rowdy kids? Sort of a ding-dong school with delegates? That's a slanderous statement. I might even say a dangerous thought. Oh, come on. All I suggested was this could be a convention of 1964 if they keep on at the rate they're going. What do you hope to gain by such impertinence? Gee, frankly, I don't know, but I can't help myself. A lot of things and a lot of people strike me as being funny, that's all. And by holding up a satirical mirror to them... Maybe in a small way I can help them to laugh at themselves. And then everybody might be a little wiser. And even maybe a little happier. Yes, but you went too far. When you put Mouseketeer's hats on the delegates. Now, now, that is defamation. No, it's not. It's all in fun. Where's your sense of humor? Besides, our political conventions are nothing more than glorified Mickey Mouse cartoons anyway. Watch your tongue. Watch your tongue. That's not my tongue. That's Will Rogers' tongue. Tch, I don't believe it. Will Rogers was a great American. He wouldn't have said anything like that. Well, gee, I'm sorry to argue with you, sir, but in September 1932, he did say it. Listen, this is what Will said. Well, our national political conventions, if you have ever attended one or heard it over the radio, are nothing more than glorified Mickey Mouse cartoons and are solely for amusement purposes. Unquote. I just can't believe that a 100% American like Will Rogers could have gotten away with it. Shocking. Simply shocking. Why, it verges on the seditious. Well, look, if you don't mind, I'd like to get this show on the road. All so, right, go right uh, ahead. Please. But I warn you, I'll be making notes of everything you say. Fine, be my guest. Uh, may I borrow your pen? Oh, certainly, here you are. Oh, I hate ballpoints. Aren't you afraid you'll offend the ballpoint people? Don't you get smart with me, young man. All right, sorry. Now, where was I? Oh, yes, what is satire? 
While it's a lot more than pointless fun poking, satire is criticism, first, last, and always. But criticism disguising itself in the bright robes of barbed wit. The jester may insult the king, so long as he does it with a laugh. So criticism, arm in arm with humor, glides confidently past the censor. Well, you're not gliding past me, young man. I know, I know. Satire is as old as man's pomposity. More than 2,000 years ago, Juvenal pierced the stuffed togas of ancient Rome with the same weapon Alexander Pope used to clip the powdered periwigs of 17th century London or Ogden Nash to puncture the tinsel bubbles of Park Avenue's pretensions. But long before these viewers with alarm, there was a playwright named Aristophanes, a Greek. He didn't think much of the works of another playwright named Aeschylus. In fact, he seems to have come to the conclusion that Aeschylus was one Greek who didn't have a word for it. At least Aristophanes wasn't bearing any gifts when in his great satire, The Frogs, he had this to say of Aeschylus. I know him. I've seen him years ago, wooden-mouthed. No door, no bolt, no bridle to his tongue. A torrent of wild bombast. Intelligible? Not one line. Twenty-four centuries later, a contemporary satirist felt the same way about rock and roll. Life could be a dream. Life could be a dream. All right, hold it, hold it, you guys. This is a rhythm and blues number. You gotta be careful or somebody liable to understand what you're singing about. You want that to happen? No. Well, then you gotta talk unintelligible like me, right, Stella? You said it! Okay. Now, you guys wanna sell a few records? Yeah. Well, then stick some old rags in your mouth and take a get from the top, okay? Okay. Okay. I don't understand the words now. Real mumbly, huh? Life could be a dream. Shaboom, if I could take you up with Intelligible? Not one line. But satire's weapon is the same, exaggeration. There was another top tune a while back that came marching out of my radio so often I began to think my set had been made in Texas by Texans. Remember? Got so the only place you could escape it was diving for abalone in the Straits of Juan de Fuca. So fearful of being snared drum to death, I rushed to the studio and recorded this. There's the yellow rose in Texas that I am gonna see. Nobody else could miss her, not half as much as me. She cried so when I left her part of me. Now that's just a shade loud on the snare drum. She's sweetest little rosebud at Texas Avenue. Her eyes are bright as diamonds, they sparkle like the dew. See, now you covered up sparkle like the dew. One of the loveliest parts in the whole Texas. Hey, what's the idea of turning it off? I warned you, and you've gone too far. Oh, please. That is a direct insult to the Lone Star stage. To say nothing of Southern womanhood and the memory of the boys in gray. You think maybe I should have cleared it first with the state capitol at Austin? Huh? They would never have given you permission. See what I mean? You see what we're coming to? It won't be long before you'll have to carry a license to laugh. Exaggeration again? You think so, huh? Listen, before I was allowed to laugh at Jack Webb, I had to get his written permission. And the only reason I ever got it is that Jack's shirt is not stuffed. He thought this was funny. The legend you are about to hear is true. 
only the needle should be changed to protect the record. This is the countryside. My name is St. George. I'm a knight. Saturday, July 10th, 8.05 p.m. I was working out of the castle on the night watch when a call came in from the chief. A dragon had been devouring maidens. Homicide. My job. Slay him. You call me, chief? Yeah, it's the dragon again. Devouring maidens. The king's daughter may be next. Mm-hmm. You got a lead? Uh, nothing much to go on. Say, did you take that 45 automatic into the lab to have him check on it? Yeah. You were right. I was right? Yeah. It was a gun. 820. Do you really think you can get away with that? Why not? It makes fun of the police. And the police preserve law and order. And anyone who is against law and order is against America. Oh, come on. However, no good American would buy such a scurrilous record. But more than a million of them already have. Maybe we better call them back. Oh. Well, it's anti-British, too. I'll bite why. It lampoons St. George, the patron saint of England. You don't leave me much to satirize. That's not my problem. There's got to be a censor to keep you fellows in line. There always has been. Maybe so, but he hasn't always been as tough as you are. Just this year, the world lost a great satirist who knew the bitterness, which is the lot of a man in mid-century America who refuses to take things too seriously. You remember his acid sarcasm? California is a great place to live if you're an orange. Fighting wit of Fred Allen was finally suffocated in a society where slapstick is king and where it is all right for a man to take a pratfall as long as he falls on his own prat. But nothing was sacred to Fred Allen, from network vice presidents to mom herself. For 20 years, my mother kept a light burning in the window for me. When I came home, my mother gave me a royal welcome and a gas bill for $729. <laughs> Can you guess who got sore at this little interchange? Well, Mr. Cassidy, what is that ladder you have there? I'm going over to Sweeney's for dinner. And you have to carry a ladder? The dining room table is too high. You can't sit on chairs. Everybody eats on a ladder. Why is the dining room table so high? Sweeney is a mounted cop. He always rides into dinner on his horse. Oh? Sweeney never uses a napkin. He wipes his hands on the back of his horse. There's so much food on the back of Sweeney's horse, he has mice under his saddle. Goodbye, dear. Well, who do you suppose beefed about that innocuous scene? The mounted police? The American Society of Ladder Manufacturers? Mice? No, the Irish. Or at least a small, militant, vociferous, and humorless group of Irishmen. So finally, Ajax Cassidy was written out of the show. It seems to me that today only two mediums remain where the satirist may operate with the widest latitude. Books and the theater. Elsewhere, there are restrictions of one kind or another. Even in phonograph records, which sometimes end up in locked vaults instead of music store shelves. Here's part of a satire which Dawes Butler and I wrote, but never recorded, and which you are about to hear for the first and last time. In the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia On the trail of the lonesome pine Well, Hawaii, Hawaii, Hawaii Gee whiz, it's a nice day That's right, Arthur 
Well, you look like you had a good night's sleep, lad. That's right, Arthur. It's a pretty tie you're wearing. That's right, Arthur. <clears throat> That's right, Arthur. Oh, I just cleared my throat is all. See, I was over to the Douglas factory the other day. They had a one-cent sale. You buy one DC-3 for $100,000, you get the other one for a penny. I think you folks can still get in on it if you hurry right over. That's right, Arthur. See, how about a tune from Frink? You want to sing, Frink? Yes, I do, and my name is Frank. Well, it's Frink as far as I'm concerned. Frank! Say, guess who we had warming up in the audition pen this morning? Who? Morton Downey. Call me Frank! Okay, all those in the cast who want to see my new Honolulu movies, hold up your leg irons. There isn't time, Arthur. The program's almost over. Oh, what a shame. Well, I think I get time for one joke. You see this ukulele? I bought it with no strings attached. <laughs> What's that? What's that noise? It was me, Arthur. I was drinking a glass of noodle soup when you told that last joke. I wasn't able to laugh in time, so I did the next best thing. I gargled. See, that's thinking on your feet. Only the quick thinkers stay with me. Hey, you with the freckles, you're fired. Oh, that's me. I'm looking in the mirror. That's right, Arthur. We'll see you Monday, folks. If you want to have some fun over the weekend, get out and build your own airstrip. It's more fun than a barrel of monkeys. <laughs> Sing it, Arthur. In the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia, on a trail of the lonesome pine. Ah, the sensor's still with us, huh? <laughs> oh, very much so. Oh, very funny, very funny. I thought you'd be gone, but you liked it, huh? <laughs> oh, indeed, I did. Ah, <laughs> uh, no comment, no cuts? No blue pencil? Yeah, well, no, it, not really. Now, of course, in all honesty, I must say, I think that last joke was uh, a, a wee might suspect. Oh, what joke was that? The one about the ukulele with no strings attached. What's suspect about that? Well, it does seem to infer that Hawaiians are not above indulging in sharp business practices, such as the sale of stringless ukuleles. Oh, I see. <laughs> but then we must be lenient. I hadn't After all, that. our ancestors in Connecticut were alleged to have sold wooden nutmegs from time to time. So, so <laughs> it, we can afford to be lenient. Lenient, huh? Mm. Well, that's a step in the right direction. Now, tell me, Mr. C. Sensor uh, is the name. Uh, pardon me. Do you consider hi-fi enthusiasts sacred cows? Hi-fi enthusiasts, sacred... I don't even know what they are. Well, then I can speak freely. Radio station WHIFIFM, serving the greater Milltown area, is once more proud to bring you at this time your weekly high-fidelity forum of the air, and here is your moderator, Feedback Frugal. Yeah, thank you. Well, every week at this time, I have to ask all you people listening on anything less than a 15-inch speaker with an 8-inch tweeter to tune out, please, we don't mean to be undemocratic, but we're a select group, and we can't have just anybody listening. Thank you, so get out, please. Well, tonight our panel looks a little bit like who's who in hi-fi. <laughs> to my right, Mr. H.H. H. Horn, president of the Summit Ridge Louder and Louder Club. Mr. Horn? Mr. Horn? Uh, oh, oh, 
Uh, and to my right, Mr. Dacron Grillcloth, editor of Assemble It Yourself magazine. Uh, thank you, and good evening. And on my right, a very charming teenager, Miss Rhoda May Flug of the West Branch Falls branch of the Johann Sebastian Bach fan club. I believe that's the inscription on your windbreaker, Miss Flug. I hope your ears are better than your eyes. It says, don't knock Bach. That's the slogan of our club. Oh, that's the slogan. I yeah, think. we have jerseys, too, that say, every toccata is worth a few. Fine. Thank you, Miss Flug, for the plug. Well, that's our panel. Now, first, we'll play just a teeny bit of a brand-new LP recording and see who'll be the first to identify it. Here we go. I think you'll find it works better if you remove the record jacket first. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's my mistake. Here we go. Sturdy jacket. Well, there we are. Now try and identify this. Well, that's about enough of that, I guess. Oh, sorry. Well, my, my arm slipped. I'm sorry. Now, do you know uh, who that was? H.H. Horn had his hand up. Well, that was played over a Pimlington amplifier model 220. Right so far. With a Feely preamp and Magnus tone arm. What do you mean a Feely preamp? That had over 1.6% hum. You can't get that kind of distortion out of a Feely. My dear Miss Flug, I can hear up to 20,000 cycles. All I right, can hear a few All right, if right, Miss Flug has got you there, H.H. It was a Murdoch Jr. with over 2% hum. Now, what about the turntable, Mr. Uh, Grillcloth? Uh, yes, well, it has quite a bit of rumble in it. I think it was the new Murdoch just on the market. Right you are. Do you think it'll sell 200000 No, no. They have quite a few bugs in them yet. I got a Murdoch that doesn't have any bugs. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, they've got a rumble like a cement mixer. Well, sure they do if you don't use a foam rubber spindle adapter. All right, all right. Did anybody recognize the music? Uh, tell you the truth, I wasn't listening to the music. Uh, me either. Well, no matter. Now we come to our contest. <clears throat> If you can guess the sound, you win a life-size inflatable latex rubber Liberace. He comes with his arms extended, ready to be blown up and set down at your own piano. Gee, oh, yeah, now what familiar sound is this? Listen. Well, I don't see any hands. That was Benny Goodman in a skin diver suit, 20 feet underwater, playing Danny Boy in a kelp bed. Oh, oh yeah, I didn't think had that. Well, H.H., oh, you yeah. should add that. Well, now one more just quickly here. Recognize that sound? Hmm? I think that was, uh... No, I give up. Yeah, what, what was, was that? That was King Farouk in a skin diver suit, 20 feet underwater, applauding Benny Goodman. Oh, well, if you'd played that on something beside a lousy Murdoch turntable without all that rumble, I, what I think that I would have... lousy Murdoch? I'd like to hear your turntable. All <laughs> right, Miss Plug, you'll have yeah, an opportunity right now. Mr. Grillcloth has assembled his home hi-fi kit here in the studio, and we're all going to get a little listen, right, Doctor? Uh, yes, yes. As advertised in our magazine, assemble it yourself. Now, of course, in order to prepare for our kit, you have to rip out all the walls in the interior of your house. I see. And next, our acoustical walls go up in sections. Prefabricated. More or less. One wall is solid tennis balls, the other asbestos, the third wet bathing suits, and the fourth a sort of a foam rubber bar-relief mural of the Pickens sisters in repose. Mm, some acoustics, right? What about equipment? Well, I use 521-inch speakers in the ceiling, mm -hmm. as you can see here. I yes. have it all set up there. Uh -huh. 
plus a 10-foot horn enclosure in each corner. I have a Stylemaster preamp and a Fomroy turntable. Oh, the waste when he could have picked. Listen, madam, people who own Murdoch turntables should not... All right, stars. now, oh, now, buddy. how much does all that equipment cost? I know our listeners well, will be uh, anxious. Yes, well, I'll tell you. Find out the... Yes, please, I'll tell you. $5,499.50 takes it home. Of course, the cost of building the railroad spur right to your house, which is essential, is not included not in Not included in the price. Well, could we hear a little music through your system? I, I see you have it all set up. No, 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 no. No, I'm afraid it wasn't designed for this studio. Oh, that's a shame. No, the room won't stand the stress. Oh, I think it would, but... Uh... I'm sure our listeners would have enjoyed hearing sure, it. I yes. would have enjoyed hearing it, too. No, not me. This way I don't have to hear that more than 5% train table rumble in that lousy farm uh, roar. Just a minute here, Miss Smart Alec. Yeah, all you right. just take the panel. Here, Mr. Blog, put your windbreaker back on, please. All right, you, you, yep. you want to hear a little hi-fi, eh? Well, listen to this. <laughs> concludes our weekly High Fidelity Forum of the Air. Now back to the frothy beat of Claude Hopper and his boys. Well, this quite personal analysis of satire may have given you some, some of you the impression that I consider myself the last survivor of an already vanished race. Nothing could be further from the truth. There is still hope for laughter in America, for there are still satirists in America. We're a hardy species as difficult to extinguish as liberty itself. Our names are familiar and our lust for laughter cannot be discouraged. You may think of us as cartoonists, writers, comics perhaps, but we are all fundamentally satirists, from Chaucer to James Thurber, from Moliere to S.J. Perelman, from George Bernard Shaw to Dorothy Parker, Al Cap, Voltaire, Sid Caesar, Groucho Marx, Bob and Ray, Walt Kelly's Pogo, and Jonathan Swift's Lilliput. The list would outrun the time we have left. But all of us all have this in common. In seeking to blow away mankind's absurdities on a gust of ridicule, we hope to make mankind's burden a little easier to bear. Before you reach for that blue pencil, stop and think. Can you imagine life without a laugh? <laughs> You have just heard the CBS Radio Workshop production of Colloquy 3, an analysis of satire, starring the Capitol recording artist Stan Freeberg and produced and directed in Hollywood by William N. Robeson. Colloquy 3 was written by Mr. Freeberg and Mr. Robeson with music by Lynn Murray. Included in the cast were June Foray, Dawes Butler, Sam Pierce, Larry Thor, Parley Bear, Alan Reed, and Bill Thompson. Next week from New York... The workshop will present the radio premiere of The Hither and Thither of Danny Dither, a modern morality play in which a very young angel upsets a celestial efficiency expert's efforts to streamline heaven.
Stay tuned for five minutes of CBS News to be followed over most of these same stations by My Son Jeep. And don't forget, CBS, caution before speed. This is the CBS Radio Network. My son, Jeep? What in the world was that? <laughs> Do you know, Keith? <laughs> yeah, I think that was a, a, a TV comedy uh, back in the 50s. Well, they're saying um, it's radio. He said, coming up, coming up next, radio, my think. son, Jeep. It's like, okay. I guess in the 60s, it was my mother, the car, but <laughs> my son, <laughs> Jeep. I missed that one. It probably lasted a whole of a year, but who knows? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, they were winding down radio at this point, all right. Um, but this oh, yeah. particular show, boy, that was that was fun. Yeah, can we get away with satire today? Hmm, not so sure. We some people you'd still have to, yeah, you'd have to use a lot of sarcasm to uh, make fun of the actual woke political correct movement, uh, <sighs> which I'm trying to do in in a mild way and. Uh, and so far, it seems to be working. <laughs> well, good, as long as they don't cancel you. Don't get canceled. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just tell them, hey, listen, I've been a voiceover guy for 50 years. I've been in cancel culture all that time. So... <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer, actually. Um, and maybe it's not quite so crazy in Australia as it is here in America. I don't know. Oh, it's getting pretty bad. I think uh, with the in the instant information age that we live in worldwide, I think uh, you know we, we copy the big boys, so... <laughs> There's a lot of ideological uh, uh, silliness that goes on, but uh, we'll let them get on with that and just enjoy ourselves with this escape into the past when things were seemed a bit saner. <laughs> yes, when things were much saner. They, yeah. weren't, they weren't all good for everybody, I'll give them that, oh, but, no, no. but <laughs> much saner overall. Okay, analysis of stat satire, Stan Freeberg. Tell us about uh, the, the cast of this. Obviously, very familiar voices and very familiar people. Yeah, that, that one was, again, filled with a lot of cartoon people, and, uh, and it definitely did come across as a pilot for his uh, One Year Later series because it had some of the same skits early versions of uh, the sound effects thing and also the uh, Herman Horn on Hi-Fi. And, of course, uh, you know, we heard the voices of June Foray and Doris Butler, who were on his famous records like St. George and the Dragon Net. And Doris Butler, uh, well, Freeberg himself did a, an impression of Will Rogers. And Doris Butler did the very, very good impersonation of Fred Allen yeah, in, he in did that a, show. He did a really good impersonation of Fred really Allen. Really good. At first I thought well, it might a, be, and then I realized it couldn't be. So Yes, yes, exactly, because he just died, I think, three months earlier. Um, but uh, I think Doris Butler told me once that uh, he was a lifelong fan of Fred Allen and Vic and Sade. They were his two favorites as a kid growing up in uh, in the Midwest. And uh, and so he he did an excellent Fred Allen, and he ended up doing it in one of the early Huckleberry Hound cartoons as a as a you know a cartoon character. Also, we heard Alan Reed as the senator. Well, uh, again, stop, stop you for a sec. Stop you for a second here. 
Yeah. Uh, Dawes Butler said Fred Allen and Vic and Sade were his two favorite shows growing up. Now that's interesting because that's two different types of satirical humor. Fred Allen, oh, yeah, Fred Allen is very direct and very easy to to pick up on. Vic and Sade, right. much more subtle, much more subtle. Yeah, humor that was there. The, well, that was the Midwest thing because I think if he grew up there, he he was born in Toledo, but he grew up in Chicago, and of course that was Vic and Sade territory. I think he uh, he just got into that very you know strange humor of Paul Reimer and those uh, characters that he created and uh, that very odd odd sort of comedy. Yeah, I love Vic and Sade and I love Fred Allen. So yeah, same here. But they are two different types of satirical humor. Um, oh, very much. <laughs> okay, go on. Sorry, I just had to bring that point out. And the, well, we also heard Bill Thompson uh, in that uh, again, Wallace Wimple. Uh, and in that one, Bill Thompson was imitating Ajax Cassidy to uh, Doris Butler's version of Fred Allen from Allen's Alley. And I, I don't know whether that was possibly more just convenience because I think Peter Donald, who played Ajax Cassidy, was still alive, but he was on the East Coast. So they wouldn't have flown him out to Hollywood just for that little tiny part. But yeah, so we had Alan Reed as Fred, you know, Fred Flintstone as the senator, and Aristophanes in that show, and there was Doris Butler, June Foray, and Bill Thompson. So again, filled with cartoon people, but really, such a preview of his uh, series to come uh, one year later on CBS, even to the point of having the actor, the great actor Parley Bear, playing a a network censor, you know, and that morphed into the much more famous Mr. Tweedley uh, on the Freeburg show, which was, uh, you know, Elderly Man River, probably the most famous sketch from that show. Right. Well, uh, yeah, this was the early incantation of it. Not quite as good, but you oh, could yeah. tell where they were going. So, Oh, yes. And, and yeah. Stan Freeburg was immensely popular at this time. He was having hit record after hit record after hit record. Yep. So it'd be natural to give him a radio show, even though... Radio was pretty much dead by 1957. So Yeah, and I, I remember when I mentioned earlier that uh, he came a couple of months earlier to Australia. I think he was a guest of the fact that, that Melbourne was hosting the Olympic Games in 56, and uh, they were having overseas guests in you know, the fields of showbiz, and Stan Freeberg's records were just so popular. Uh, and and the funny thing was when I mentioned that to Doss Butler later, he, he vaguely remembered Freeberg telling him, he was going down under for a couple of weeks, and uh, he said, "I he said uh, Stan told me that they recreated the St George parody on a local radio show, which they did. It was in '56 here in Sydney. They had uh, a show, a variety show called the Ford Show, sponsored by Ford Motors, of course, and um, they did. And and then Doris Butler jokingly said, uh, I, I hear they got some Aussie upstart to do all my characters.'" <laughs> Does that particular show exist? Do you have that in your collection? Where I they think I that? have. I think I have a copy of. Uh, it's a little scratchy, but I, I think I just have the excerpt of Freeberg's appearance on that somewhere. But I'll try and find it. It's interesting when you hear the recreation of St. George and the Dragonet. The studio audience are laughing themselves crazy, you know, and they still don't really know what Dragnet is yet. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. Um, well, just because you know, good old-fashioned jokes. <laughs> yeah, well, they're good no matter what. Okay, uh, what do you have for next week on our on your final appearance in this particular series of good old days of radio shows? We may have you for yes. something else in the future. Hint, hint. But <laughs> for now, <laughs> I'd love to, I'd love to again. Uh, okay. But no, no. I think for the final one, I, I think uh, we'll go really uh, cartoony on the on the final one. And uh, this is the um, this will be on the 
show that was never you know they 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 always they, it's so common to hear these now in within the hobby of old time radio but in those days the great variety show command performance was never heard in the continental usa it was only heard overseas by all the the uh, people in service um Army, Navy, right. Force, okay. Well, uh, we can talk about why that was and how that was uh, next time. Uh, is there a particular focus? This I, I, I know it's ca yes, cartoon this voices. This is the one where all of the uh, well, ninety percent of the requests on this particular show, because it was based on requests from service people, uh, are all uh, cartoon characters from the theatrical cartoons in those days. So you'll hear the Warner Brothers and Disney characters. So we're going full on cartoon for your <laughs> for your last <laughs> one. Good, good. Exactly. All right. Well, that that's a, a good tease for next week, and we want to remind people also to uh, rush to uh, Amazon or rush to Bear Manor Books or rush somewhere where they have books and get a copy of your book, Cartoon Voices of the Golden Age, nineteen thirty to nineteen seventy. Um, written by Mr. Keith Scott, our guest uh, for the last uh, nine episodes of the Good Old Days of Radio Show. You'll find the, the book to be an incredible uh, fusion of cartoons and old-time radio, as they say. So get, get yourself you. a copy of that. And thanks, Keith, for appearing with us again on the Good Old Days of Radio Show. We'll, we'll My look, pleasure. We'll do one more, at least for now, next week, a command performance episode uh, featuring all kinds of cartoon voices. Full-on cartoon. <laughs> okay. Cartoon <laughs> overload next week. Um, <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening to the Good Old Days of Radio Show. Thanks to Keith Scott for appearing once again. This is John Tefteller, and we will see you later. Thank you.